Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. And today is a special episode for us because we are recording in the same location. It is so good to see your face across the table from me. Instead of just guessing who's (laughs) supposed to be talking when. (laughs) But it's also special because we're profiling someone who broke musical boundaries and is personally one of my favorite composers, and that is Clara Schumann. And just as we did with Mendelssohn's and the Mozarts a few episodes back, we're actually going to be doing a two-part mini-series here. So this week we're talking about Clara Schumann, and later, next episode, we'll talk about her husband, Robert Schumann. Clara started her life in Germany in 1819 as Clara Weich, the daughter of two musical parents. Her father was a piano repairman and teacher And her mother was the daughter of a flautist and a pianist herself. Clara really appeared to be the female equivalent of the young Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. She performed exemplary concerts as early as age 9 with her solo concert debut at age 11 with her father acting as her manager throughout her childhood. As was popular at the time of the early to middle romantic era, she performed flashy virtuosic showpieces. What was unique, though, is that she performed, with critical acclaim, her own compositions. So let's take a moment to talk about the women's changing role in music performance. During the Baroque and Classical eras, this began to change as it was seen as a mark of sophistication for a woman to be able to perform music during soirees or in salons. Public performance was still seen as somewhat uncouth, though. By the Romantic era, as evidenced by young Clara, public performance by a woman was more generally accepted, and what was remarkable is that young Clara was also well-received as a composer. Clara's father was sometimes harsh and tyrannical, but as Clara reflected later in life, this kept her humble and greatly influenced her later personality. Now, this was problematic, though, as she fell in love with Robert Schumann, whom her father viewed as not good enough for his prodigious daughter, how silly that feels now. Robert, similarly in love with Clara, fought her father in court to win her hand in marriage in 1840. Clara and Robert's marriage was, I think, rather model, especially for the 19th century. Though Clara's composing came second to Robert's, for the time, I think it was a rather equal marriage compared to some. The couple is said to have studied scores together, read potentially song lyrics from poems together, and even performed together. Aww. Robert was quite fond of expressing his love for Clara in his music, often incorporating special meanings into his works, such as using the letters of her name to write motifs such as his Clara theme, heard in his Romance Number no. 2. They also kept a joint diary, a so-called marriage diary, to allow them to communicate and record their feelings for each other. How sweet! <laughs> If it hadn't been for Robert's untimely demise from mental illness, they would have lasted for years as a musical power couple. After Robert's death in 1856, Clara began teaching and going on concert tours once again as a way to support herself and her eight children. But she had not lost her touch during marriage, 
and eventually even became the principal teacher of piano at the Hoch Conservatory in Frankfurt. And we really should thank Clara for her contributions to what a concert experience is today. She championed concerts with fewer works than a classical era concert that might last towards half a day, which allowed the performer more refinement on each piece and the audience more concentration on each work. She programmed music from numerous composers, from Bach to herself, thus bringing diversity to the audience. Later in her life, and with the help of her dear family friend Johannes Brahms, Clara became a real advocate for her husband's music. In 1896, Clara suffered from a stroke and died at age 76. Her and Robert's legacy survived through the efforts of Brahms and the Schumann's own surviving children and grandchildren. So now let's get into Clara Schumann's Scherzo No. 2 for solo piano. This was written in 1845, five years after she married Robert. And it was written very much with the audience in mind, with very dramatic, sweeping lines. However, being in Clara's nature, it still has quite a lot of musical substance, not being simply a showpiece. As we've mentioned in many previous episodes, the Schumanns were on the side of the War of the Romantics that favored absolute music, meaning it wasn't exactly about anything in particular. I find this scherzo is a fine example of this musical ideal, because the word scherzo is Italian for joke, but in the musical world, it has really evolved to mean merely an upbeat, often lighthearted and jaunty piece. That's all well and good, but it really gives the listener free reign of what they would like to get out of the music. Clara was quite good at giving the listener lots of material to work with as she weaves several different moods around her central scherzo theme. She first draws us in from the get-go with a sweeping arpeggiated line that is the main first theme of the piece. Take note of the chords that really hold the melodic substance here. She then creates a sweeter melody by bringing us out of the C minor key she began in by modulating into F major. And that's all in what we'll think of as the A section of the piece. Next, Clara writes a B section, or sort of trio. It's very simple and sweet-sounding, and more sing-song than the stormy A section. However, even though it sounds sweet, Clara still provides us some suspense. Through sequencing and diminished chords, Clara does give us the feeling that there is something darker behind the saccharine musical confection. And finally, these sequences do break the shiny candy coating and effortlessly bring us into a recap of the A section with a return of the constant running eighth notes. There are a few places in the piece where Clara indicates longer rests in both hands simultaneously. This is interesting. Why not just write a fermata? 
it seems that Clara was writing a very specific performance suggestion to future pianists that this is exactly how long one should wait before going on to the next section. This kind of note is almost like a musical interpreter's dream. There's no need to speculate how Clara would have performed the piece, because she's written it right there. The best example of this is during the transition between the A and B sections. This transition is quite clever because the sudden silence that comes out of the mad rush of eighth notes that we had almost grown accustomed to hearing really just grabs the listener and pulls them in. And though she was humble, I think Clara knew that she was brilliant and really wanted to subtly let the audience know that as well. Putting in the ever-so-small pause right before this transition, she knew would grab their attention and allow them to be pulled into her changing music. Now, Clara also grabbed the audience's attention through hemiola, or putting emphasis on a weak middle beat of the measure instead of the downbeat, in order to change the metric feel. So this music is written in 3-4 time, but from the beginning is felt in 1, because the melodic chords change basically only on the first beat of each measure. Then, Clara creates a hemiola in her second theme, by suddenly writing two dotted quarter notes per measure. meaning where each measure before felt like a lilting waltz, they now feel like a 2-4 time march. At the end of the first section of the piece, right before the trio section comes in, Clara uses a few different hemiolas to emphasize her point. First, she continues with her constantly running eighth notes that have been in the background, but instead of just emphasizing the first note of each group, she now emphasizes beats 1, 2, and 3. Next, she completely stops the running eighth notes and uses a half-note quarter-note rhythm to emphasize more of this three-beat pattern in the 3-4 time, instead of just one beat per measure. Now, interestingly, these examples are not entirely what we normally think of when we talk about hemiolas. Normally, we think of the first example making perhaps a three feel into two, but this still works with the definition of hemiola, which is to produce a change in the feel of time. Now, as we are back in the German Romantic period, it is only appropriate to talk about the use of harmony. Clara uses a lot of harmony that's not exactly the traditional 1-4-5 progression that we're used to thinking of. However, as you can tell by her melodic chords, you can clearly hear when the harmony is changing, and it's overall not too surprising to our ears what it changes to. And this is all thanks to alternate chords that serve similar functions to the common chords we know. For example, as we hear near the end of the piece where our grand 4, 5 to 1 should be happening, we instead have chords consisting of 5 notes each, but still serving the same progressional purpose. In place of the subdominant 4 chord, we have a minor 2, 7, 9, meaning on top of the normal triad of 1st, 3rd, and 5th, we extend the chord to include the 7th and 9th, going to a 5, 7 to 9 of the 5 chord, which stands in place of the normal dominant 5 chord, before finally resolving to tonic. Even though these are massive and strange chords, to our ears they don't sound bad at all. Without this analysis, most people would actually probably just hear the normal chord progression that's ramping up to the final tonic ending, which Clara does graciously provide for us.
So thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Remember, tune in next episode for a look at Robert Schumann's own work. Remember, this is a two-parter. So for the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Clara Schumann's Scherzo No. 2 was performed by Felipe Saro. You can find the Coffeehouse on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe. Find us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. Thank you.